Podcasting. What's your price, Squarespace, <laughs> for finding Monster Right? What more do we have to do? Bum 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 bum. We're podcasting. Finding Monster Right. We don't have to keep going. Okay. Hi, I'm Allie. I'm 28. I use she, her pronouns, and recently I've been grappling with the fact that I... It's not that I'm not okay, it's that I don't know how to feel okay. Like, I never psychologically learned how to feel comfortable with myself and my actions and my body and my environment and my world. And it's a real knife in the heart of any futile effort I might make to make a real connection with another person, be it familial, friendly, or romantic. Also, fuck the Loch Ness Monster for the story, marry Mothman because he knows when bad stuff is going to happen, and also he can fly me around like Superman, and with apologies to Robert W. Morgan, kill Bigfoot. All right, Adam, now you go. So that's that's uh, your name, your age, your pronouns, uh, a fun fact about yourself that's really a cry for help, and um, and uh, the fuck, Mary kill, Nessie, Mothman, Bigfoot. Go. Because this is our, uh, what? third anniversary yeah yeah we're 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 celebrating three years of fmr (laughs) Uh, my name is adam he him i'm turning 30 i'm turning 30 (laughs) right now (laughs) Uh, it's regenerating like doctor who yeah and we are uh, we are exploring not only uh the various monsters of our world and, and worlds beyond ours you know, a comedy podcast format. Uh, but this one, we're going way back when to the very beginning of things. Yeah. That's right. Who is Mon first? Finding the first ever monster. Adam's greatest weakness is, of course... <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I would like to save that for, for upcoming fears that we discuss on this program. Oh, okay. Because I was about to put on a Power Ranger costume and dangle Alex and a bus full of children off a bridge. We are who we choose to be. Now choose! Oh man. <laughs> I think I think I would get in trouble for hesitating to save Alex. <laughs> one way or another. Well, the old ball and chain might <laughs> get me. We all have huge noses. I hate life. <laughs> Yeah, so we are we're going to be exploring the uh, the very first of the monsters ever, and what does that mean? You might say exactly. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's Harley. No worries, Harley. Harley, make meows. Very good. Make a meow so that the people know you're here. Make a meow for content, child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's Allie's house cat that you can hear. Yes, yes, that is my housemate's cat, Harley. I think she's explored my room. Enough. Uh, Adam, what was the first monster we did on this show? So, yeah, there's many different answers to this question. We're going to look at all of them. Uh, first monster on Finding Monster Rights was zombies. Zombies. 
You don't have to cut your divide your attention. You can just wait until the cat's out. No, it's funnier. It's funnier if we divide their attention. The first episode needs a little bit of work, and I feel like this might have been the missing ingredient all along. Well, I, I, I guess uh, to roll back. Very good girl. Good girl. Thank you for visiting. Oh, oh yeah, we're good. Love her dearly. All right. Oh, okay. So. Uh, zombies, it's what's for dinner, was our first episode, and we talked zombos. Yes, and in a subsequent anniversary episode, we talked about zombies in the original kind of folkloric and necromantic senses, because originally it was more like Dawn of the Dead, like plague zombies. Yeah, right. You're, you're infected. Uh, and those were never called zombies in the original stories. Uh, they were just the uh, dead comeback, the undead? Yes, and they were a lot more like a ghoul. Mm-hmm. So a ghoul, uh, from the Arabic word ghoul, is a demon-like being or monstrous humanoid. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I, I did not know it had Arabic origins. Yes, I speak Arabic, but the only word I know is ghoul. Uh, the... <laughs> I just like really have to go to the bathroom somewhere in Riyadh, and I'm like, ghoul, 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 and then they kill me for being trans. Um, the concept originated in pre-Islamic Arabian religion, associated with graveyards and the consumption of human flesh. Modern fiction uses the term to label a certain kind of monster. By extension, the word ghoul is also used in a derogatory sense to refer to a person who delights in the macabre or whose occupation directly involves death, such as a grave digger or grave robber. Now, one of those is an occupation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one of those is an occupation. <laughs> when, but, 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 when your mama robs a grave, she <laughs> robs a grave. She occupies the grave. Like, you would put one of them on a, a resume, but it, to a certain clientele. Yeah. Some state that a ghoul is a desert-dwelling, shape-shifting demon that can assume the guise of an animal, especially in a, a hyena. It lures unwary people into the desert waste or abandoned places to slay and devour them. The creature also creates... And I, I, I think that reflects our show pretty well, too. <laughs> we lure un unsuspecting audience members. Except instead of eating their flesh, we make them laugh. Yeah, uh, that is absolutely a feature of many monsters, is this kind of siren sort of thing. You there? Yes. Uh, sorry, I'm... Can you hear an ice cream truck in the background? Uh, not really. Good, okay, maybe it didn't come up on the recording, but it's just like, fucking, there's a cat, <laughs> and like, right next door watching The Walking Dead, funny enough, and like, there's like, da-da-da-da-da, does it wobble to the flow, does it shine in the light, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I, I don't know the original version of that song. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I only know the thing about Very dicks from like sixth grade. Hey, uh, this is—it seems this is turning out to be a party of an episode. There's ice cream. There's cats. It's okay. <laughs> really, I'm a fucking mess as <laughs> as I spent a while talking about. So, what? How am I such a fucking mess? Actually, because <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the next monster is about us and our past. Yeah. What was the first monster for? Me and you in our experiences. Did you have any? Uh, did you have anything like under the bed or anything like that? So I, 
uh, most of my mom, I didn't watch too many uh, scary movies as a kid. Uh, but in my experience, that doesn't mean that you don't aren't scared of things. It just means you get more scared of more mundane things. Mm-hmm. So the things that that haunted me were things uh, appearances in I would call dreams. <laughs> One might use the phrase nightmare. Mm. Uh, yeah, nightmares that I had as a kid. Uh, the one that that comes to mind as as a one that stuck with me for a long period of time was uh, I I dreamt that my family was uh, sitting around the kitchen table. It's about dinner time, and a grasshopper hops onto the uh, onto like the table. Uh, my dad uh, cut it in half with a with a knife, <laughs> and he's like, "All right, time to wash your hands." So I turned around to wash my hands at the at the bath in the bathroom and standing in the bathroom door frame uh, as tall as the door frame is an enormous praying mantis i feel like i've had an identical dream but it ended very differently <laughs> oh well that's uh, that's where it ends for me and I, I wake up and that was uh that was a an unsettling feeling hmm i i do think that uh, like referring to that is a very um early monster idea is that something that isn't supposed to be big is big. I almost... Uh, one thing that really freaked me out... Well, go ahead, if you're going to continue. Oh, I was going to get some other, like, nightmares and fears, but I'm curious to hear your, uh... What's, what scared you? One thing that really scared me, I remember, as a kid, and this is not, like, early childhood. This is maybe, like, when I was, like, 13, 14. I read, uh, I read Gulliver's Travels. I read the first book of Gulliver's Travels where he goes to Lilliput, which is the place with, like, the six-inch-tall people. Yeah. Yeah. And he brings back some, like, tiny farm animals, like horses and sheep and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that freaked me the fuck out, I remember. (laughs) No, no, I I get that. Uh, They're fragile. You could break them. What if you step... I stepped on a mouse and broke its spine one time, just like walking in the... Just like walking in the street on accident, and it fucked me up so bad that I still remember it. Imagine stepping on a horse. You would scream. (laughs) No, I... I, I'm with you. The the idea of uh, of certain stuff, that's usually what got me uh, up at night. And even... (laughs) This is a... It was, I would call it an old man dream, but I I recall having dreams of uh, various figures from my childhood television uh, mm-hmm. breaking into my house and, like, bothering me. <laughs> like, like you know, it, it's all fun and games watching, like, Team Rocket on Pokemon, but I had a, a dream that they were in my room, like, at night, and I'm like, get out of here, please. <laughs> but you have all those Pikachu plushies. You probably... Yeah, that, that's probably what they were after. But it was a, another one comes to mind of, and this had to be inspired by the episode. But uh, Keenan and Kel showing up and like breaking everything inside the house. <laughs> and to me, that's very just existentially scary. Like, oh no, these strangers are here. You don't know them. They won't leave. You can't stop them, and they're just going to destroy everything in front of you. Jeez, like <laughs> I feel like the inevitable episode of Keenan and Kel with Adam and Aaron, where it's actually Keenan and actually Kel with actually Adam and Aaron. Like I feel like that will be what heals that trauma. Yeah, I I, I hope so. You got to tell them they were in a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I had a nightmare that they showed up and messed up my house. Oh, that's so good. No, I'm I'm for it. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, that's that's it. I I also come time grade school. 
I, I am surprised that, uh, that Catholic education included a lot of um, I, Edgar Allan Poe and scary images. You're surprised at that? I, what well, I am. I, I think a more, uh, a more clear cut, uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting things, but <laughs> learning in, uh, in school, the, you know, T- tales of people chopping up, <laughs> chopping up others and hiding them under floorboards and being haunted by their, their body parts. By the guilt? Being animated after their death. How is the Telltale Heart not the most Catholic story you've ever read? That's more Catholic than the Bible. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, fair. Catholicism the... is a religion that, like, that, like, promotes the idea of the benefits of suffering. But then when you try and stab one and you're like, no, 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 it's actually good secretly. They stop you. Uh, that makes sense a bit too, because the other the other tale I was thinking of was the uh, was it the, the black and white uh, uh, pit, pit in the pendulum movie, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, stuck with me for a while too. The a lot of images of people being uh, buried but actually alive. Uh, as for someone that has a I would call a mild claustrophobia. Is a very scary uh, image. Right. So listen to your parents and your priest. <laughs> or... Or else this will happen to you. Also, read ev- read a book about the Holocaust every summer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it ain't no summer without Anne Frank. It ain't no summer without Anne Frank. You know, she would have been a believer. Um... <laughs> Another childhood monster that I had. It seems like a lot of your childhood monsters come from without. Mm-hmm. You know, they come from without and they come into your house. A lot of mine are like, I mentioned like the, the breakable horse. Like, yeah, right. that's a situation where it makes me the monster. Where it's like, it's my fault. Ah, I, I see. And one that I had way early on, uh, I might have been like five or six or something. Uh, but I was watching TV and I was watching some like one of those like old puppet show things like Sesame Street or uh, Mr. Rogers or something. I don't remember. It was a dream. It probably wasn't a real show. And like the screen <laughs> suddenly like kind of there was like this image of melting celluloid on the screen. And there was this darkness and this sense of like screaming, laughing, darkness, like with teeth or something like that. And that kind of image also actually the only other time I can remember that showing up is uh is the first dream I had with Liz in it. Mm. Liz my uh my uh question mark question mark question mark I thought she was a demon uh, alternate personality reaction to being queer in a religious context uh you, you get it there was a whole backstory. Um so that image of just like melting celluloid of like the world coming crashing down happens a lot. But what happened in this original dream was I was watching TV and I screamed, which I never do in real life. I screamed and my mom came down and turned off the TV. And instead of saying what she would have to eight-year-old me, which is be a man, homiac, uh, she turned off the TV and, uh, and said, are you scared? And I said, yes. And she said, was it a vampire? And I was like... Maybe. And she was like, do you want me to turn into a vampire? And I was like, no. And then she didn't. But if she could in real life, she would have. Because, <laughs> look, hey, I got, I got like, whacked in the head a lot as a kid for, like, talking back, quote unquote. I still don't know what the fuck that means, honestly. And, like, 
look, it's not great. The monsters lived in my house. I didn't have to make them the fuck up. They lived down the hall. There were none in the closet. I knew that. Most of my monsters were just kind of like guilt about like things that I thought I was doing wrong and stuff like that. My monsters come from inside. Yeah, I, I think you summed up pretty well. Inside versus external. I think uh, I think that's an interesting dichotomy there, and I think psychologically that might be something we need to look at going on into the future here. Oh sure, uh, but it's, before we go into the future, let's go into the past. So yeah, going through uh, different p- parts of media. Yes. Uh, it's, it's talking swiftly. The first movie monster, which I think is a very important image. Yes, you have a monster that you dated all the way back to 1915, if that's uh, if that's correct. Yes, uh, that is. And it's. <laughs> I, I do want to say that a lot of people have a different first movie monster that they see. Mm. Oh, your first. I see. Yeah, uh, just um, as an example, I um, this uh, this is a dumb example. I, I first want to I first want to say I think like my first PG thirteen movie was Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. So like the I, I guess the undead uh, the, uh, pirates in that one, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess this is my first the first movie monster that I encountered. Uh, but then I remembered on screen uh, seeing a, a couple episodes from uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark that have, you know, those kind of scary clown images that's, that last a while. Hmm. Your Zebos and whatnot. I think my first movie monster was probably... The first monster I had on DVD was my first DVD, which was Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase. <laughs> the Phantom Virus. I I do recall being in my youth a like a second cousin or something coming over and she and we were watching an episode of Scooby Doo. It was the first time I had seen it, and the atmosphere of like a seeing a I'm called a '60s cartoon in my youth was very unsettling. Hmm. They kind of and I maybe I was just an age too where it's like I didn't I didn't see the monster is someone in a mask as much like that didn't dawn on me as much as oh my god a monster is chasing these teenagers through a pier mm. <laughs> and it, it, it's very uh, upsetting so uh, interesting point bringing up a uh, scooby-doo that is my first movie monster was mewtwo from uh, from pokemon <laughs> yeah i guess my i guess mine would be flubber if we're going mm. for that counts, right? And one of us grew up to be a scientist, and the other grew up to have a Pokemon YouTube channel. <laughs> but it's not what you uh, think. But yeah. Because the consequences of one's birth are irrelevant. It is what you do with the gift of life that truly matters. But yeah, as you roll through the different uh, eras, you have stuff like the... Uh, the uh, what was it? Bruce from Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla. King Kong. Frankenstein. Nosferatu. Many of which we've talked about in this program. Uh, but the one that I had as the first movie monster was uh, the Golem from 1915. Ooh, that's the German title. The in the U.S. was called the Monster of Fate. That's kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, you know it, it retells the uh, the Jewish folklore about the the Golem, a uh, a clay made creature uh, brought to life to defend a town. It's a very 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 Frankenstein version storing a <laughs> telling of the story. Where he, the golem falls in love, and uh, when that love is not returned to him, uh, goes on a rampage and commits several murders. Nice. 
I love several murders. Yes, uh, the the costume that that's shown, if you want to look up uh, the goal of nineteen fifteen, is a uh, <laughs> is a fun look. This uh, it's a Dave Batista looking gentleman. It's just a tall guy. <laughs> that's what they thought. <laughs> yeah, just a tall guy with like a. I would call it like a like a juggernaut uh, headpiece. It looks like coconut head from Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. It does not look like juggernaut. It looks like coconut head. <laughs> Fair enough. It's like Little Lord Fauntleroy hair is what it is. This is like yeah, one. It's like a blue. He's got a bit of a, a Farquaad look to him as well. There's a frame on the DuckDuckGo image results of like him just looking so sad. <laughs> Yeah, very sad. It's also got that Nosferatu oh. thing where it's like some of the frames are like green or like like warm or cool to signify day or nighttime, I think. I think so. I believe that was a just... thing in German cinema at the period. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. It being uh, several years before Nos. Uh, but you have some, a movie that's even earlier than this. I have two. Oh, go ahead. My uh, My first thought for the oldest movie monster was, of course... The uh, weird insectoid fungus acrobat people from A Trip to the Moon. Oh, that, that, that is a great example. So A Trip to the Moon is a 1902 French uh, short film by Georges Méliès, and it is widely considered the first science fiction film. It's a bunch of, uh, it's a bunch of astronomers who are dressed like the Cookie Crisp wizard, and... <laughs> Uh, they're all of their, uh, they build a giant capsule and, uh, and launch themselves out of a big cannon with the help of all their assistants who are Marines who are, yeah, the, the, the capsule looks like a bullet and the, and it's like an actual cannon. Yeah. Yeah. All of their assistants are played by young women in sailors outfits as Wikipedia puts it. And when I was watching this, I was like, I can see somebody just, like, on ye old Rotten Tomatoes, like, why are there so many women in the picture? <laughs> Bit woke, isn't it? Too many broads. Too many broads, if you know, not too many birds. Hey, that gives me an idea for a movie. And then it turns into Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. X-Men Origins he... Hitchcock. <laughs> then he directs 80 films and, like, time for the birds one, finally. You got time. It's 18... It's 1902. <laughs> anyway, so they go to the moon, and... Uh, yeah, they shoot the moon in the face. Yeah, they can breathe on the moon, which I think, at the time, they thought you could just do. I have a conspiracy theory about this. I think birds might be from the moon. I think NASA's lying to us that there's no air in space. <laughs> I, don't think they, I don't think they checked. I'll be honest. I, I don't think they... The officer did, like, rip off his helmet, and it's like, oh, it's, oh, I guess it is pretty bad up here. No, he just, he didn't check. He didn't check. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a selenite is the name given to the uh, the creatures that they encounter. They wander into this, uh, this mushroom place, and uh, this weird little guy in a striped shirt. Uh, there's a lot of, like, striped elements in uh, in a lot of these George Melies movies, I noticed, because, of course, that's kind of the only costuming you can do, is, like, the high contrast. Yeah, in black and white, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, so he, like, does, like, a little somersault and rolls at them and starts, like, attacking them. They hit them once, and then, like, they kill it. Like, it just disappears in a poof of smoke. Uh, they get, like, they eventually, like, basically fight their way into, like, the central throne room, and they can just beat all these guys in one punch. 
And then, like, one of them, like, a mob of them chases them all the way out to the capsule, which is dangling off of a cliff. They all get in the capsule. One of them is hanging on the outside. It falls off the cliff back to Earth. And then they take the random moon man back and, like, show everybody. And then, like, they beat him up and kill him. And then they build a statue for the brave explorers who went to the moon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What I love about it is that not only is it, like, Pete, a movie from 1902, 120-some years ago, uh, but it, it perfectly follows the plot of every D&D quest. Hmm. <laughs> it really does. But there's an older George Méliès film. Oh, even even before this, uh, the moon cannon. <laughs> yes, I went back so far. I was, like, looking at, like, you know... <laughs> celluloids, you like you? Videograph of breaking plate, or whatever the fuck. Like... London on a foggy morn. Naked lady throwing a baseball. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't that cool. Well, they were French, maybe. They might have been well, that cool. I, I, if I, my understanding is that that was a lot of the first movies. Yeah, stuff like that. It was naked lady doing blank. Uh, but one of them is a uh, three minute, 18 second uh, movie that you can watch on Wikipedia that I'm sending Adam right now uh, called The House of the Devil from 1896. Okay, here we go. They just got rid of slavery and just invented baseball, and they were like, let's do this. All right, three, mm-hmm. two, one. See, we see the bat flying around. Yeah, Earth. there's a bat flopping around here. Oh, gosh. Oh, but it's oh, the devil. it's a man. It's the devil himself. I think it's the devil. I'm not sure. He's got a beard. Well, he's got the, he's got some sexy devil heels on. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got horns. So I believe he's the devil. He's a cauldron. Yeah, he just con- he made a cauldron. He made a cauldron, and he just conjured a little hunchback friend who's at the bellows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devil is supposed to be Mephistopheles, I believe, and he oh. made a lady come out of the cauldron. Oh, I know where this one's going. All right, back in the closet. A- Good. <laughs> yeah. A lady in the she closet. Can't vote for- yet on if she wants to leave. Probably <laughs> another twenty-four years. Reading the book, I think he went. Right. The assistant went into the cauldron, disappears. Oh, someone's coming! Better okay. put on a cape and disappear. So he's got an invisibility cloak. Here's some fancy gentlemen coming in. Oh, one of them looks like I Robin. I hope they don't get startled by. Um... Oh, oh man! Nope, there you go. We got Old startled. Yep. I I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what George was going for Look, there. The, there was only one editor at the time, and he had never done it before. Mm. <laughs> Alright, so, a little more conversation. A little less action. Alright, things <laughs> yeah, are disappearing. Yeah, there's a stool that keeps hopping around. I'm waiting for the devil guy oh, to Oh, a skeleton! Oh, oh! Oh no, a skeleton! <laughs> the guy, the man sat on a skeleton. The skeleton turns into <laughs> a bat when you hit it? That's a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. And then now it's like the devil again. Weapons that he's... Oh yeah, there's the devil. Burn through those hit points of those alternate polymorphs really quick. Here's the little hunchback guy. He's his little hunchback buddy. Nope. He gives him the cloak. Oh, and now... The swashbuckling hero. The swashbuckling hero. He's fighting nuns. He's, he's pushed away by ghosts. Oh. Yeah, the... <laughs> he's, it's 1896. He's lost at the end of his days by them. Yeah. Just throw the whole man out. He's done. No, now the devil is bringing out the woman from the closet before, and the fancy gentleman is surprised, but delighted. 
she gets on one knee and kisses her hand, but she's old. She's old now. <laughs> now there's many olds. Oh, she's brought all the old ghost ladies with her. Now they're all like... Yeah, they got brooms. Oh, witches, witches. They got witches and they got brooms and they're chasing them around in a circle. Yeah, Benny Hill music is playing for some reason. There's no other music. There's a little Scooby-Doo chase and I believe one of them just jumped out a window. <laughs> uh, the, the man that was haunted jumped, leapt off the balcony, it looks like. Alright, now we got a little more of a witch's circle, and they disappear. <laughs> you see the whole set shake when the witch circle happened? And, uh, the fancier gentleman and the devil. Oh, oh, the fancy gentleman has pulled a cross that was off the wall, and uh, that's yeah. the end. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's a little bit of an Inception ending to that. <laughs> Don't Stop Believing started playing, and he pulled a cross off the wall and started menacing the devil with it. All right, so that was the first monster in cinema, was our good old friend Sadie. I'm glad that in the, what's it, a hundred and thirty years of, of cinema that we've had, we still do that hero falls off a cliff and is, you think he dies, but he really comes back. Did he die? I'm glad I that's been that, around for that long. I thought that was like the less fancy gentleman who jumped off the window. I'll have to watch again. No. <laughs> that was podcast poison. So the House of the Devil, also known as the Haunted Castle, is uh, is the silent film that shows off all, like the devils and ghosts and other monsters. Mm -hmm. This is the 1896 edition. They made an 1897 uh, remake. That was <laughs> right. Uh, do you believe that this is a uh, this has ever scared a person seeing it? It must have. I can imagine. Like if if only if you'd only before seen naked woman throwing a baseball, I forgot all the others that we said. <laughs> then yeah. Uh, I'm also thinking of the uh, what about uh, a couple years later, the Great Train Robbery comes out, 1903. Mm -hmm. uh, I know as a fact people were scared by the ending of that movie. Are you? Do you know it? Yeah, yeah. Train comes at the camera. I, I thought it was a guy points a gun at the camera and shoots it. Oh, that might be it. Yeah. A guy points a gun at the camera and shoots it. And people in 03 were like, oh, God, I'm shot. What the? Oh, I cannot believe what's I survived that encounter. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think I think people seeing moving pictures for the first time would think that this exorcism has been caught on camera. This haunting of ghosts and ghost ladies. They didn't know what editing was. Yeah, they didn't know what special effects were. Yeah, the camera was in a fixed position. That was like paranormal activity for them. <laughs> yeah, the, look, the whole house is shaking as they're chasing each other. Yeah. I guarantee there were people that thought paranormal activity was real, right? Absolutely, 100%. That said about the movie production, people have seen theater craft before and stagecraft. So they may have seen some, you know, actors fighting and realized that it's not really a thing. Yes, and so, but that can point us to, uh, you know, our uh, our stage traditions, our Shakespearean ones, where Hamlet meets a ghost, mm -hmm. and uh, and earlier, right? Way earlier. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking sixth century BC. Oh, okay. Uh, what? Uh, let me think of the the productions that were going on at that time. Phantom was still going. <laughs> yeah, Phantom was still going. Uh, cats. It's dumb jokes. All right, good. Uh, what uh, what was happening back then? So Thespis was an ancient Greek poet uh, who, according to certain sources, particularly Aristotle, he was the first ever person to appear on stage playing a character in a play instead of speaking as himself. And that's why they named it after him, right? Yeah, Thespian. 
nice. So he is often called the inventor of tragedy. And what he uh, was originally a singer of was dithyrams, which a dithyram is an ancient Greek hymn sung and danced in the honor of Dionysus, the god of wine and fertility. I did that dance over the weekend. (laughs) So... Dithyrams were sung by choirs at Delos, but the literary fragments that have survived are largely Athenian, blah, blah, blah. In Athens, dithyrams were sung by a Greek chorus of up to 50 men or boys dancing in a circular formation who may or may not have been dressed as satyrs, probably accompanied by the olos, which is a kind of uh, double flute thing. This is also the origin of something called a satyr play, which is a, like, very raucous kind of, like, you know, shitty Adam Sandler movie of ancient Greece. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, I would not be surprised if, like, a there's, like, a stag party of that era. Hmm. Well, the satyr, as we talked about in our fawn episode, is distinct from a fawn because a satyr is just wildly sexual, uh, ears and tail resembling those of a horse, later a goat, uh, and with a permanent exaggerated erection. Yep. That's, that is correct. Yep. So just like a bunch of boner goat men going around. Now, the 700s BCE, we can go older than that. I guess we can. What about either 1200 BCE or 2100 BCE? I'll take 2100. Uh, No one's quite sure when the oldest text was written. Uh, But people have found these clay tablets uh, describing the text uh, known as the Epic of Gilgamesh. From the Sumerians. Ancient Mesopotamia. Yes, yeah. We have not done Gilgamesh on our show. <laughs> I, I think we haven't found our, our, our twist on the on the tale yet, but uh, it is a it is one of the the earliest known. Oh, well, the it is the earliest written uh, legend <laughs> described by man. Yes. In short, <laughs> Gilgamesh was a, a great and powerful king, ruled over his uh, Sumerian lands, and a. <laughs> A monster came to be uh, his uh, his antagonist in the first half of the tale. Hmm. Uh, so, text from the second tablet of the original epic recounts, This Humbaba, his voice is the deluge, his speech is fire, <laughs> his breath is death, he hears the forest murmur at sixty leagues distance, who is there who would venture into his forest? His sound cloud is lit AF. <laughs> so the voice of the Humbaba alone is comparable to an apocalyptic force, like the flood myth that uh, that occurs in so many uh, regional myths around that area. So, Including this one as well. Yeah. So Humbaba was a personification of humankind's fears of like floods and wildfires and other natural disasters. Absolutely. Gilgamesh encounters him with his friend Enkidu. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a, a monster in his own way, also a demigod like uh, like Gilgamesh. He's a bull man of sorts. Sick. Uh, body of a man, horns and ears, tails and leg of a bull. What beautiful face. <laughs> beautiful, amazing face. <laughs> and uh, when he first encountered, uh, he first encountered Gilgamesh uh, was... Uh, what well, it was in town. Gilgamesh was I, what I would doing is something that something vi- most villains do in a tale, hmm. and uh, it, Enkidu was uh, trying to stop him. Uh, they fought for seven days in the streets, 
when uh, finally Enkidu in- was uh, yielding and Gilgamesh sp- spared his life and said, we're actually bros now. We're going to be the best bros of all time. Let's go on adventures. Hmm. One of those adventures was Gilgamesh just deciding, you know what? I'm going to go confront Humbaba in, the ho- in his home in the cedar forest. <laughs> yeah, he's not bothering nobody. But he's a monster. He's weird. Let's go fight him. No, and older tablets recovered uh, more recently recount that Humbaba was, in fact, like, beloved by the gods and was just this <laughs> benevolent forest protector spirit. And well, sure enough, like, Gilgamesh just comes in and starts, like, fighting Humbaba. And, uh, and... <laughs> Despite despite being Sumerian, Gilgamesh was also the first uh, Florida man. Yeah, he just destroys the whole forest fighting Humbaba, and uh, Humbaba says, I will slit the throat and gullet of Gilgamesh. I will feed his flesh to the locust bird, ravening eagle and vulture. They start, like, destroying the whole forest, and then uh, Humbaba is killed by decapitation with a knife, which is... Just one knife is all it takes to kill the all-powerful first-ever monster. Which makes me think that this guy was just a huge asshole. It's very funny because, uh, well, we counted some of their old stories too, but it's like the the action fight sequence that was developed in later motion pictures and stuff wasn't wasn't the reality of things. Hmm. The the fight, uh, you could say that, yes, a fight... Uh, was so good, it, it took so long, it took seven days. Then usually gets the monster, it's like, you know, we are so much better than the monster, it takes one stroke to finish them off. Even in Kidu, uh, at the end of this whole fight, mourns the loss of Humbaba, which also, it's it should be noted that the Epic of Gilgamesh relates that Gilgamesh and Enkidu <clears throat> quote-unquote loved each other as do man and wife, but they weren't gay because gay people were invented on December 11th, 1994. So, what this reminds me of a lot is Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Gilgamesh just kills this forest god thing. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, this great being <laughs> that's watching over everything. Just kind of destroys him in the forest. For what reason, no one knows. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's almost like we have to go back even further. I think we to, to try and get at the the base of what the what I guess what humans are looking for in these monster stories. Yeah, because it's not like people knew what a god was and what a monster was at the time the Epic of Gilgamesh was written. Just because it's the oldest surviving text doesn't mean it was the first thing anyone ever wrote down. Correct. Yeah, there was a uh, written text before this one. This is just your uh, what's left over. Yeah, but we have uh, we have older and older paintings still. So I see your at most twenty one hundred BCE, and raise you thirteen thousand BCE. Oh no, thirteen thousand. Uh, I am talking about the sorcerer. Mm-hmm. So the sorcerer is one name for a cave painting that is found in a cavern known as the Sanctuary at the Cave of the Three Brothers in France. So what we're looking at here, folks... (laughs) Adam, this is art. Shut up. So what we're looking at here, folks... (laughs) Adam, it's art. (laughs) So what we're looking at here is this sketch... Made by uh, made by one Henry Bruel, 
who sketched a cave painting found in this old cave that appears to be, it's like the body is like halfway between the portions of a man and a horse. Uh, yeah, it's almost got like some zebra style stripes around the, around the face. Uh, the eyes are very owl-like, I'm going to say. Yes, I think it's very owl-like. Uh, there's kind of like a beard situation going on. There's two little yeah. tufts of ears that look like either an owl or like maybe some kind of prey animal. Uh, the outlines on the body, the outlines on the body remind me a lot of like Australian Aboriginal art where... Ooh, yeah, interesting. Where like you have like the skeleton and uh, and like musculature drawn on the outside. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. There's a little horsey tail, and what definitely looks like the penis tucked between the legs. Uh, yeah. This is art, a... Adam. <laughs> it's it's a really funny looking penis. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's a little cartoon penis. One of us has seen more penises, and let me tell you, they all look funny. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yes, the uh, the genitals are exposed. The genitals of the art are exposed, and most notably of all. Yep. The most notable feature on this is, of course, uh, a the set... The little pride rock that it's it's perched on, right? Yeah, it's perched on a little rock there. Uh, the most notable feature of all is a couple of fucking hard hairs on its uh, on, on the old head. A couple of pointy deer bones, if you know what I mean. Antlers! Some antlers, yeah. So, nice. Uh, yeah, so what's that t- telling you about this creature? Well... Uh, there are many theories about what it is up to and including, uh, this is a misinterpretation of, like, you know, imperfections in the rock and stuff, Hmm. which Paleolithic art actually oftentimes incorporates imperfections and bumps in the rock as part of it. And so the idea of, like, flickering firelight really adds to the whole image of it. Uh, Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Henry Bruhl's a pet assertion was that this was part of ritual hunting magic. Uh, so this is a representation of a shaman or a magician where uh, peoples of the region would paint animals on the walls and channel the essence of sort of animals to become more like them in order to succeed better in hunting. So it's thought that this is some kind of shaman, some someone like kind of mid-wild shape, as it were, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, I, I see. They they have the animal components up front, where the uh, the lower half is is just is making its way there. They have a couple of different animal things going on too, because they have antlers, they have a horse tail, and they have kind of a horseish body. Uh, Maybe it's like a, I'm thinking of like a, a Disney style a- animation, like when the, it's got a lot of forms happening at once, and it's like kind of roulette spiraling through them before picking one. Hmm. That's, I think that's very much what it is. Something like that, where it's, where it's just like a depiction of everything all at once to depict like the totality of the power. Yeah, yeah. I can do, I can go in any one of these directions. Which way should I go? Yeah. There are some theories also that this is not a shaman mid-transformation, but rather a deity. The first depiction of a deity on Earth. Wow. Uh, so, so, yes, a, a horned god of sorts because of the, the antlers. Yes. Now, you know, there's debate that this is not a depiction of any kind of chimeric uh, entity at all, but rather just a perfectly normal animal that's been misinterpreted. 
but I don't really see any alternative hypotheses being put out here in the Wikipedia article. So, therefore, I declare that they're all wrong. I declare monster. I declare monster monster. <laughs> We've gone off less. We have, truly. This is not as this is not as off base as Organism Forty Six B. No, I, I do not think so, and it's older, so yeah. This is like that, that wins some points. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a mix between like you know this is a moment of contact with the uh, divine animal, you know. I, I could see. I'm, I'm, I mean, imagine being a paleolithic person. All you do is see uh, the animals that you know. Mm. And piecing together the ones that the the components that you know into something new, a different creation of sorts, uh, and if that's a scary image, if that's as something that is unnatural, uh, it's, you're looking, you're talking about a monster. Yeah. Uh well, even before <laughs> our kind was painting in the caves, uh, they were talking. Mm. Uh, there's the oral tradition of monsters, and I know of a tale. If if gods are on the table, uh, that goes back even further. How far back? You mentioned the Aboriginal recently. Mm-hmm. The Australian Aboriginal peoples. I can ri- rewind the clock 37,000 years. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah. Uh, the tale is from <laughs> Aboriginal origins. Hmm. The Guadalajara people of the area. Damn. Uh, sp- <laughs> That's a word. Uh-huh. Sp- spoke of... Uh, Bujbim. Bujbim. Uh, which is a volcano uh, that was a god among their people. Mm. The god that had, was walking among them took on the shape of this great volcano. Uh, his, I, I believe, his teeth became like magma. His, uh, he uh, exploded and... Uh, across the air, the eruption was known across the, to all and seen to all the humans that lived there. Uh, this was a legend passed down uh, that um, uh, now that uh, once modern geologists got a hold of the the area and sa- and the activity, they said, "Wait a second! This volcano you're referring to had was formed thirty seven thousand years ago." Hmm. The tale of uh of this of this uh this lava god in form here is not a uh, that's been passed orally through this time may have incredible origin dates. Wow, that yeah does go back far. However, I can go back further. Oh no! I'll see. This is crazy that we started in like 2020 with the first episode <laughs> of Finding Monster Right, and now we're all the way going back. I'll see her 37,000 years and raise you 41,000 years. Oh! <laughs> so the Lion Man of Hollensteinstädel is a prehistoric ivory sculpture. Uh, so it's a figure. It's a humanoid figure with a lion's head carved from a mammoth tusk. It is one of the oldest known examples, not just of a monstrous, you know, malformed creature, but it is one of the oldest known examples of any fictional thing, of an artistic representation. Oh, damn. Yeah. And, you know, the purpose of this, again... (laughs) I want to say, this is an amazing sculpture. It honestly is. Like... 
I can tell exactly what it is just from looking at it. Yeah, the fact that you can do that with something that's been around for 40,000 years is impressive in its own right. The fact that me, a person, can connect with, like, a 41,000-year-old German wearing only a loincloth and lederhosen and one of those little Robin Hood hats. (laughs) Right. The staple of their people for tens of thousands of years. They love mammoth meats and chocolates. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's a it's described as lion headed figurine, mm-hmm. and it's funny because I'm looking at this thing and I'm seeing the <laughs> the Rafiki like drawing of Simba, like it's so huh, it's so good that it's so good that it looks like Rafiki, a literal baboon. <laughs> well, not a literal <laughs> baboon, I guess. Come to think of it, but that's a good point too. Even on this uh, news article you've linked me to about the Aboriginal tale. There's a thing on there that says, can octopuses dream? (laughs) So we are not the only intelligent creatures on this planet. Maybe the only ones who are truly self-aware, but we're not the only ones who have a culture where we pass down technology and knowledge to our next generations. We are not the only ones who Mm -hmm. uh, operate as like masters of our domain and create tools and shape our environment around us. Whales, dolphins, corvids, things like crows, yes, octopi, octopodes, octopuses, we can just say octopuses, chimpanzees, our closest relatives even. Like, do they have monsters? Do they have stories? Do they have tales? I would argue, maybe not, because maybe we're those monsters. Hmm. We've gone full circle here, that we are the, the monsters of those tales. Yes, but I can go back further. How how far can it be? Here's something huh. to consider. The Silurian hypothesis. Uh, is, is that about the Seven Sisters? No. Uh, okay, what is it about? You know, we go back to the earliest members of the genus Homo, like Homo habilis. And we go back further to Australopithecus. Animals that were being, you know, that were on the edge of what we would call personhood. And they were being predated on by animals like hyenas and big cats and saber-toothed cats like Dinophilus uh, and, you know, crocodiles, birds of prey, even in some uh, extreme cases. But we can go back even further before that and still encounter sapient life. Maybe. Because what if instead of intelligent life being far away from us in terms of space... Why is it so incredible that it should be far away from us in deep time? The Silurians are a race of creature in the Doctor Who canon that... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, please go on. (laughs) Silurians are a race of creature in the Doctor Who canon who are kind of reptilian. They were around before people were. And in 2018, a set of researchers took to the hypothesis, and they named it the Silurian Hypothesis after these creatures, uh, which is kind of full circle because they are named after a geological period that is, like, way, way older than they could possibly be from. If intelligent life, the theory posits, existed on Earth during deep time in the ancient past, how close to us would it have to have occurred 
before we would certainly know about it. Only about 1% of all species on Earth that have ever existed have fossilized. Oh. And of those, how many do we find? That's a, that's a good point. Same thing that you were saying about the, uh, the written tradition not too long ago. Yeah. Like, what yeah. kind of artifact? Like, would our civilization stand up to a million years of degradation, of fossilization, of being buried under rock? 200 million. 300 million. Intelligence is not something that is uh, something that takes four and a half billion years. What is it? To evolve? Like, it can just happen. There's a, a creature known as Suminia. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and send you a picture of this. Yeah, okay. I'm looking at that picture right now myself. Oh, you found it? Uh, Sumidia looks adorable. Yeah. I, I love the multicolors here. Are those yep. feathers? Is that a uh, like a, a feathery hide? This is... Well, what kind of animal would you guess this is? And when, in the fossil record, would you think it was from? It's, that's really hard to say. It's got like a... It's got like almost like a sloth stance about it. Hmm. Sloth is a good guess. Uh... Check out the hands. Uh, he's got five digits. Are any of those digits in opposition to each other? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it looks like a man hand. Hmm? So what kind of animal would you guess this is? Uh, I... Is this a mammal? Close. What kind of mammals live in trees and grab things? Is this... Is this what I think this is? Y no. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> this is a... 260 million year damn i went back far i'll raise you 260 million years bc but this is a 260 million year old animal that is a stem mammal so it's like just outside of the crown mammalia it's barely not a reptile it is covered in fur not feathers it's got a real uh a real reptile reptile bit, bit to it it's got hands it has opposable thumbs and a long tail and, like, fingers and limb proportions that are best suited for swinging around in trees. This is a reptile that is essentially a monkey. Wow. And this existed before any dinosaur. <laughs> then the great dying happened and had to kill off all our cool monkey lizards. <laughs> oh, man. We were so close. <laughs> and man, if only 95% of all life on Earth didn't get Thanos snapped out of existence, then we would be descended from monkey lizards instead of regular monkeys. <laughs> you got me, like, calculating how many Thanos snaps does it take to get to 95%. <laughs> how many? <laughs> it's, it's, a it's a long song, is all I'm saying. He's, he's got some Bohemian Rhapsody to get there. Should've gone for the head, 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 should've gone for the head. <laughs> No, stop, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. That's too many. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, okay, so there was the... And bring this into the fold. Are you positing that the memory of this kind of creature or the idea of a creature like this is a, is a monster? I'm positing that civilizations could have existed before humanity and who knows what horrible fate befell them? Who knows how far along they got? Did they get to our point in technological development? Did they get beyond us? Did they know something we didn't? Were their monsters based on the predators of their time as ours were? 
Or is it something more? Because think about what the root word of monster means. Think about how it means uh, a demonstration, a warning sent from the creator, right? Mm -hmm. So I got thinking about it. And I thought, if an octopus can have a nightmare, and we last split off from the octoputs, the octopusies in, <laughs> like, the Cambrian period, that means our most recent common ancestor with them had the capability to develop a brain smart enough to get a nightmare. And what does an animal have a nightmare about? What do you think? Keenan and Kel breaking into their house. Exactly. <laughs> Except the Keenan and Kel is death. <laughs> yeah, uh, death would be the scariest thing to basically any living creature out there. Death is the scariest thing to any living creature. And I thought maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's time itself. Because not all monsters kill, as we talked about. Some of them are sirens. Some of them are, like, calling you in and then they kill you or injure you. And not all monsters do kill. Some of them are just a warning. Something... Warning is a good word for it. Yeah, it's... Again, you get... It's the scared parts. But time is only scary. Death is only scary because it comes at the end of your time. Time is only scary because you have something to lose. I posit that life is the first monster. That existence itself is, in fact, the first monster of all. The Pandora's box opened in reverse. It gave us hope first, and then brought about all of the suffering in the world. In fact, I would posit that the world is a vampire sent to Dre Ayane, secret destroyers, the Demiurge, holds you up to the flames, time. And what do I get from my pain? Betrayed desires and a piece of the game, podcasting. Even though I know, I suppose I'll show all my cool and cold, like old Job, despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The first monster is existence. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Th thank you, Thanos, for coming to the, uh, coming to the show. Oh, fuck. We accidentally <laughs> initiated the next great dying. <laughs> so existence is sent from our creator as a warning. If anything, I, I think I invented a new religion for this podcast episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna take me a bit to to, to chew on, chew on everything you you dropped there. Just listen to the Smashing Pumpkin song. It explains everything. Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I mean that, that that's their job, and they they did did a very good job with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay. Wow. There's. I think that there is a. Yeah, it's a true history. I don't even know how to sum up what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I invented a new religion. Maybe you're not my prophet. <laughs> I might not be. It's a existence, you know, the fact that we exist is it gives you something to lose. And that's the scariest thing of all, having something to lose. Yes. So if we talk, Absolutely. yeah, so if we talk about what the first warning is, what the first don't get too cocky kid in all of existence is, it's the fact that it's we- theoretically life. Yeah, it's that we exist. It's danger, yeah, it, which can only occur if you have something to lose. 
It's the warning to the warning. It's the sound that the warning makes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I follow. That's, uh, yep, <laughs> that's it. Life itself is the is the big monster. Damn. And that's what we, we were happy we found you today at Finding Monster Rights. We're happy that we found you, because we don't just find monsters. We also find podcast listeners, at least one. Hi, Tom. So let's take our monster this week to the final rating place. <laughs> existence? <laughs> How would you rate existence? Zero. Give me a fucking another one, God, you old bitch. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I think there's room for improvement. Right now, I'm feeling like an 8 out of 10. God, zero. Zero out of ten. <laughs> I, will, I will yell at the vast silence of heaven, and I will not stop screaming until I cannot scream anymore, because I know, I know that there will be no answer. All there is is vast silence. Secret destroyers, hold you up to the flame. Are you quoting more Smashing Pumpkins? And what do I get? Thank you for joining us. For I am. I am truly the modern Job. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Go on. Don't let me interrupt you. Okay. Well, th- thank you for joining us for three years of. Finding I think I might rights. be God. <laughs> if you if you uh, did know that the podcast would reach this point, uh, you're you've not been listening for three years. <laughs> hey, if you li- if you like the show, come visit me on my secret commune. <laughs> Also known as Discord. Yes, uh, and give me all of your money and objects. You don't need them anymore. I'm God. Trust me. Yeah, we uh, you we can you can chat with us about uh, past and future episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, please share the podcast with a friend. Yep. We're we're looking forward to get as many new listeners under our belt as we can. Yes, all of the new new year of the show. All of my children are welcome. Uh, there will be uh, there will be uh, somebody who has to get the toast. Uh, at the uh, at the official breakfasts, um, there will be coffee and donuts night. That'll be exciting. So, so uh, join us next time when we when we delve into a realm that is beyond what we've ever known before. Anyone can worship me, but they have to kill somebody first and watch. Allie, th- there's one last thing I would like to leave you with. Yeah, uh, and that is what our <laughs> monthly theme is for the month of June. Oh shoot, yeah. What is our monthly theme? Uh, it's cruise ships. It is cruise ships. Oh, that's a great place for a cult. <laughs> cruise ships. Cruise ships. A lot of these have been like, so in, this is the halfway point, right? Uh, so in December of 2022, why don't you explain this? Yeah. Uh, Allie picked some AO3 fanfic tropes. Uh, randomize them and lay them out for the year. Each month it lines up. Usually I have no idea what they're talking about. Is this literal cruise ships? <laughs> yes. Or is this like a type of ship that like transforms and you do casually or something? No, a cruise ship I think is literally a cruise ship. I think this is a setting for like a okay. fan fiction. So uh, I... <laughs> we went on a cruise through time. Yeah, a real cruise through the whole... The cosmos of, of, of human fear this episode. We started in uh, 2020 with our first podcast episode, and I think we ended at the beginning of time? Yeah, uh, I guess uh, please tune in next time for we, we uh, see where it, uh, we can go anywhere from here, so see what time makes of all of us.
a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Come to the feast of heaven and earth. Come to the table of Ali. I will provide for all that you need. You just have to give me your money. Come and drink at my table. Come and sip on HRT. I will trans all of you. Yes, that's also part of it. No one is safe. Adam, as I talked about last week, you have to stop me. I feel like apotheosis is... Stopped recording, great, good.